Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find your tennis information. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journeys. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey, and our mentors might provide the roadmap for that journey. On most Thursdays, I will be talking to these mentors, uh, mentors who have paved the pathway for many coaches and players. Often you will hear Alan Fox on the first uh, Thursday of the month, although uh, he will be on next Thursday. Uh, We made a little switch with Scott Williams, but uh, normally he's on the first uh, Thursday. Uh, Coach Chuck Reese is the second Thursday, and today, on the third Thursday, it's Dr. John Murray. Uh, the fourth Thursday is normally Scott Williams or uh, Linda LeClaire, uh, and sometimes she'll have her husband, Dr. Bryce Young, uh, with her, uh, and uh, those are the, I would say, those are the people that you will hear most of the time. On those fifth Thursdays, well, who knows who you'll hear. Uh, you've heard Ashley Hobson before. You've heard Coach Tom Farham before. Matter of fact, you've heard many, many uh, college coaches and a few high school uh, coaches, uh, USTA uh, and USPTA and PTR officials we've been blessed to have on the broadcast for the last three years. And I uh, expect that uh, that the almighty will and will continue to uh, have uh, these fine mentors on our broadcast. So stay tuned, tell your friends, and uh, we'll keep trying to uh, share the information with you. Besides our weekly conversation, the almighty will and You'll be able to continue reading my views in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I previously expressed, if you disagree, please email me at coachdenise.fhstca at att.net. That's coachdenise, D-A-N-I-S-E, dot F-H-S-T-C-A at att.net. Who knows, you might see your views in Florida Tennis Magazine, or you might hear them here on uh, our Coach Denise Sharon the Tennis Blessings broadcast. It wouldn't be the first time. You're always going to hear my biased views as I believe them to be. Uh, I understand that everybody doesn't agree with me all the time, although sometimes I admit I wonder why not, but um, life being what it is, and we all being humans, uh, we all have different opinions and different likes, and because of that, I do respect your opinion, and as long as you're willing to state it intelligently and not vulgarly, uh, I have in the past uh, brought those opinions on the air and I presented them in Florida tennis magazines and uh, the almighty will and I will continue to do that. I would like to thank 
J.P. Weber, uh, he's a Yellow Ball CEO, so I'd like to thank him especially for hosting our network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, you're really missing out on some useful information. I'd like to also uh, remind you that if you're not subscribing to Florida Tennis uh, Magazine or someone has taken the last copy of the magazine from your pro shop, you can always find my articles and the last issue of Florida Tennis uh, by going to www.fhstca.org. And you might also find one of Jim March's articles uh, on uh, by going to Florida uh, Tennis Facebook page. Florida Tennis is on Facebook. It's on Twitter. It's on um, uh, what's the other uh, social media? It's uh, it's on all of them now. And uh, uh, sometimes you will find my articles uh, in there. Uh, matter of fact, if you went to uh, uh, FL Tennis uh, uh, on uh, not Facebook but Instagram, uh, you would see a picture of uh, Florida, the new Florida Tennis Open, already the breaking ground at the new facility, getting ready for next year. So you'll find much of the tennis news. Uh, by going to Florida Tennis because, well, let's face it, um, I am biased, but much of the tennis news does go through Florida. Uh has in the past, it continues, and then the, during the last 26 years, uh, Jim Martz has been uh, blessing us with his articles and other people's articles in the magazine, and much information is going on. Matter of fact, uh, we share that uh, before anybody else that uh, the uh, Florida tennis would be moving uh, uh, from the Key Biscayne uh, facility there. So I'd also uh, like to just uh, remind you that because I do believe Dr. King, when he said our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, uh, each Thursday, time permitting, I will add my personal views on North American tennis. And naturally, you will hear my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through our high schools. Um, so together, we may uh, wake up this sleeping giant called high school tennis because, um, quite frankly, we are in a sad position uh, right now, in my opinion. So, uh, I will, um, matter of fact, one of the uh, comments that uh, I had, uh, one of the questions that I asked Dr. John Murray, I will get into myself uh, with him because I think it does talk about uh, uh, a problem we have in uh, high school uh, tennis. So, um I think that uh, one of the other things I would like to uh, remind you that um, we need to be willing to speak out on things. We will give you your – I don't take calls uh, live from uh, uh, 
uh, on the broadcast because I'm late getting into the uh, 21st uh, century with computers. Um, but if you do email me, like I said, with those uh, uh, your questions, I will sit there and I will ex- express the, them. Um, Proverb 29:18 says, "Where there is no vision, the people will perish." So I think we're at that point in tennis, and uh, there is a lot of um, disgruntled. Uh, people in tennis right now uh, talking about um, problems with the ITF and the USTA and the ITF. And uh, quite frankly, um, I do think that the USTA uh, and those organizations have some problems. I do speak about them in an article of uh, in this issue of Florida Tennis Magazine, uh, it's uh, on page 30, Changes Dangerous and Necessary in Tennis. And it's a three-part uh, article. You'll have to uh, read the next two issues of Florida Tennis to uh, see the rest of the, um, the article. But I do think that we have to express our, uh, our opinions I'm with something's going wrong. Uh, I do think that, you know, tennis is kind of a reflection of America today. Uh, We are uh, people uh, that uh, I think we used to deliberate more than uh, we negotiate now, and we're into a yelling uh, at each other uh, situation. And I think like organizations get bigger, uh, has problems listening to people instead it starts dictating. And uh, our organizations, uh, we shouldn't expect anything different of them because why? They're humans like us and uh, we all uh, make mistakes. Uh, We all uh, uh, sit there. um, Sometimes we get too busy dictating policy rather than listening for change. And I think change is dangerous, like I said. It's difficult, but I also think it's important. So I ask you to read the article. I ask you to send me emails on your opinions. Uh, Who knows? Maybe this won't be a three-piece article, uh, but uh, it might go on uh, longer. But if we uh, don't shout at each other and we – talk with each other and deliberate together, I think uh, we can get some things done. I see, I think I see Dr. Murray on now. Uh, John, are you there? I am here. How you doing, everybody? Well, we've had uh, some uh, questions thrown at, at us, uh, and uh, I'd like to get to them in a couple minutes, but how are you doing, John? I'm doing good. The weather couldn't be more perfect down here in South Florida. And uh, you know, a lot of my work is unfortunately on the phone or in the car or in the office, but I do like to get out and uh, kind of enjoy this incredible, incredible environment we have down here. I love it. Oh, it is fantastic. And, um, and I think, uh, like I said, we all have our biases earlier and uh, talking about Florida tennis magazines and the articles that we broke. 
I mean, tennis goes through Florida if you like it or not. So, uh, you know, no doubt about it. Reason. No doubt. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's a reason for 26 years uh, that's been going on. This is a special time of year right now. And as you know, John, I have been on the bandwagon for, uh, oh, I guess, about 20 years now. And I've been asking, is after-school tennis uh, an after-school activity in your school or is it an after-school sport? And we're just going through the first round of uh district and when you look at the on Facebook the last couple of days you look at the same teams uh winning their districts and uh, you know well that's good I think we have a problem uh and and it's a, a problem that I think reflects on um on human nature itself and that is that we've become I what I call an after school activity. We become instead of a school educating our young people, uh, we're sitting and we're uh, using it for babysitting and this is why so many people are going to private schools and doing homeschooling unfortunately. And um you know, I thought twenty uh, some years ago I could make a difference by having coaching when a new school opened up and I was uh, told to put my money where my mouth was when I was president of the PTR or Florida organization and saying we had to have uh, tennis, it has to be treated like a sport. And we had an athletic director that bought into that and told me I should, you know, take over a program. But the truth of the matter is, I look now and I see the same thing. And I look at our organization, the FHSAA, and uh, this may probably be my, well, it will be because I've already notified them. I'm not doing it no more my last year as the uh, state chairman of the organization. But when you go on the FHSAA organization, on May 14th, we have a um, tennis meeting there. There's nothing about the hotel on the site. There's nothing about the agenda. There's nothing about uh, time. And I think one of the problems is we have a state organization that we have to ask, you know, how useful is it that, um, in my opinion, they disagree with me. I say we have part-time people there taking advantage of tennis. They say, oh, no, they work year-round, but... They handle tennis, they handle soccer, they handle the other sports, and they work on our sport about, uh, you know, three months out of the year. So uh, what do we do? Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're a great dead voice. Horse. No, no you're, you're not beating a dead horse. You're a great voice for that, and Florida Tennis is a good voice for that. And I think, I mean, I, I can't speak to the specifics of that, but, Obviously, the the organization that's run by the state is not either motivated or funded well enough to, or you know, concerned enough to to, to put the priority where it should be. Um, you know, is that government as usual? Is that poor leadership? Whatever is going on, I mean, we need more people like you standing up and and doing that, and taking leadership roles and making tennis better in the state. No question, it's a great sport, and we're in the right place for it right down here. Well, I, I I agree with you. 
We did get, uh, I asked uh, the group on that Facebook uh, if they had any questions for you to send them to me. I did get some um, response. Um, some of them, uh, I don't know, well, I have my own opinion, but you're the uh, expert on it. One of the questions, uh, if you don't mind, I would like to get into them. I, I do see a couple people that I see are looking at your uh, Facebook site besides mine because a couple of the questions I can see they came from yours. One of the people said, you know, uh, your article on the uh, 21 tips for mental coaching experts, uh, uh, why don't uh, he talk about that? I forgot who the uh, um the news organization was that quoted you. So that's one thing. Uh, I don't know if we'd like to talk about that first, or should we go into some of the questions that were asked? Uh, why don't you shoot me some questions first, and then I'll tell you what I thought about that 21 tips article, or if you want to pull some of those tips out and kind of, you know, talk to me about that, and we can, we can reframe that and help the listeners. I don't know who's out there today, but whoever you are, hello. You're probably coaching tennis or playing tennis probably mostly in Florida, maybe somewhere all, all over the world, but let's do it. Let's have some fun. Let's improve our mental skills for tennis. Go for it. Well, and John, just I was thinking of you uh, about two weeks ago when uh, I was thinking, God, I think it was in 2000, 2001, you were over at Wilmington in London, and I had uh, I learned something about computer. I had somebody from Ireland uh, contact me that listened to the broadcast and uh, told me to like to talk to me. And I said, well, if you want to call me, I'm not going to call Ireland. He said, oh, no, we could do it on uh, the computer. So I learned something. It don't cost anything. Yeah, we had a nice conversation for about uh, 40 uh, minutes. So uh, our um, broadcast does go all over. I've had people from Germany and from Great Britain uh, make comments before, and I've uh, talked about that. One of the questions is, when the players uh, play worse than normal, how do you judge if they're tensing up or if they're having mechanical problems? Well, I think if you're a good coach, you should know if they're having mechanical problems. So I'm going to, unless you want to go into that, I'm, I'm thinking the first thing I would say is they should go out and buy your book, Spark Tennis. But would you like to address that? And, uh, you know, wh what happens then that, uh, you know, you see that and they, um, they're they just not playing like they normally play? Well, any, any treatment is only as good as the assessment. So as a coach, you really need to inundate yourself, train yourself, and at least being more aware of, the potential mental factors as well as obviously, you know, the technical parts because it's all important. It all goes together to influence what I call total performance. And in a lot of my models, I talk about, I talk about separating out what we call talent or physical performance, which, which results from many, many years of training and genetics and all that stuff. And then the other side of the coin, I, I often will call, you know, for lack of a better term, mental performance, or smart play. So I think being able to, first of all, properly understand what it is that led to the poor performance, was it, was it more in the mental realm or was it something that the player just doesn't have yet in terms of a stroke or both? 
And I think once you have that understanding, and that's not always easy to get, but once you have that, then it, it, it becomes a whole lot easier to develop a plan to improve that. So it all goes together, but I think there is some room for understanding the, the distinction between things that involve smart play or how you manage your thoughts and feelings in the heat of battle or in practice, how you make proper decisions, how you remain calm, how you remain focused, how confident you are, all those things we we constantly talk about that are never ending and always important um, compared to maybe something that's technical or, or design flaw in the strategy or something that the coach would be more more aware of or more up to date with. I'm not going to all these coaching conferences learning about the latest techniques all the time. I'm kind of out of that loop, so I don't try to be a coach. I try to be a sports psychologist, and that's the that's why it's so critically important to train that part of the game. So being aware of both and then being able to go in the right direction is so important. So assessment is the first step. Well, I, I understand that's important, how important it is, but and I don't understand, you know, how we don't see more of you and other people at uh, conferences because um, I, I think um, I, I think of another question. Why do players get stuck in certain at certain levels at time? And I see that a player just going, they get to a certain level, and uh, they just don't seem to get improved from there. And then sometimes they'll make a move, and then they get stuck again. Now, some well, of that I yeah. know is is the tennis skills. But am I wrong? Is is I think just as much of that is you know, in the head. Uh, well, it it could be, it, it, first of all, start with the premise that, that improvement takes place a lot slower than most people think. It's not a quick fix. You know, you don't just keep, get better. Um, having said that, if they're making some major flaws technically or mentally, you can initially make a good, a good jump in performance. Let's talk technical. So for example, let's say the player is not very good at court awareness or doesn't understand where he or she should be before the ball is struck. You know, either you want to be either just as a quick example, you want to kind of be behind the baseline or in the volley position. You don't want to be in no man's land. That's a, a, a basic example that can drastically improve performance. If you train, if you train court awareness, movement, positioning, that kind of thing um, on the mental side of things, there can be other things that can drastically hold somebody back. If you're constantly engaging in negative self-talk or defeating yourself as soon as the, the going gets rough, that pattern will not change unless there's an active attempt and a successful attempt to, uh, to deal with that and to, and to learn how to, how to change your thoughts. So there's a, there's a lot of things that can, can jumpstart your game, but after you get past that, it's very easy to fall into a rut. and that requires consistent effort and consistent understanding. It's not an easy task. The coach needs to work out. The player needs to believe in it. The, the sports psychologist, if the, if he's involved in that, uh, can often help, but that's why a coordinated effort is often best. Why it's best to have for a good player, some level of communication between the coach and the sports psychologist, maybe the physical trainer too. Maybe it's a physical issue and the person's burning out or, or breaking down physically or nutritionally. So there's lots of ways to look at it, lots of different ways to, to view it. But uh, 
again, knowledge is the key to success. Until you understand it, you're not going to be able to fix it. So huge emphasis on understanding. Yeah, that's so important. I couldn't agree with you more, which kind of brings me to another question that I had from, well, I won't say if it was male or female, uh, but why do I get more nervous when, uh, well, let me go to that one after, because I do have a player and I have some comments I'd like to, but when I make a couple of mistakes, I just seem to go downhill right after that. Is there... And we see that often. What is? What do you do to help a coach? Because you can't be there. I mean, uh, all the time, and and you need to help the player. But you got to notify the coach, especially in the women's game, where they are allowed to go on the court now and coach. It would seem if I was coaching one of the women, I'd want to have somebody like you in my corner. So that I would know, and you would you would say, John, if you're going to go out there for so and so, this is what I want you to consider. I think the problem of you know having a couple things go wrong and then it continuing to go out of control, kind of to spiral, if you will, is mostly a negative negative plus a focus problem. I think what happens is I, I had a client I was talking to a couple of days ago and she asked me, how do I stay focused for the entire match? And I said, the problem is the way you're framing that you're, you're thinking about staying focused for the entire match. Forget about the entire match. Think about the point. You know, you've got about 150 points in a match. And so I think what happens there, I had a, a pro player I was working with top 50 in the world. And I, one of the things that really, helped him was to develop a routine that engaged him on every single point as if it was a brand new point and the only point in the entire match. Now, a lot of this sounds cliche and I'm sure every you're, you're all kind of rolling your eyes and going, yeah, I know that blah, blah, blah. But it really is the essence of not having a slide be uh, consummated by poor performance you really have to have a short-term memory, a very short-term negative memory, like a like if a quarterback throws a pick six, you know, Brady comes right back and then drives down for a touchdown as opposed to, you know, oh my, here we go again. And then, so you got to let the, you got to let the prior moments sort of disappear and only stay completely aware of the present moment. In the present moment, you can do a lot of damage, but if you worry about the past or the future, you, you're not really focused. So that's why I say it's mostly a focus problem with a little bit of negativity that add, added to it. You need to work on that by working as if there was only one point. I ask people often, how many points are there in a match? And they, they go, oh, 125, 150. Nah, there's one point, the current point. And that's the only point you need to be worrying about. Yes, and that's an excellent point. And I think sometimes we, we get into routines You say, well, I've heard that before. But I think I think we're all guilty if you hear that, and sometimes we forget. And and I think, especially at, I wonder when you work with new thing. I I think of a, a time um, that I had a, a young lady 
uh, and in uh, a high school match, but I had her for a lot of years personally, and I took her to uh, AAU uh, Olympic Games uh, in different parts of the country. And so she knew my routine, and she listened, and, you know, well, have fun and be happy and everything. And by the time she was a sophomore in high school, I noticed that every time she got nervous, and upset, she would start laughing and start smiling. And if I didn't know this person for so long, you know, I would do it. And I, she came one time in between changeovers. I came to her and I said, well, I won't say her name, but I said to her, if I catch you laughing again, you're going to do suicides tomorrow before, <laughs> okay. until I'm going to call the trainer out. Now, I never said that to anybody else. And as a matter of fact, I, somebody was standing behind me that I didn't know was there. And she said, Coach, if you said that to me, I would cry. And, you know, but I think we, you know, we, we all need help at times. And the average coach, especially in the high school, knows somebody for three months. They don't know somebody for seven and eight years. It's not the norm. Uh, and this is where I think we need that help, and I think we, you know, we need standards to sit there and say this is what we should do. I think. Well, everybody's different too. That's that's the trick. Um, I wish there was a manual. I actually don't wish there was a manual that helped everybody mentally, because then I'd be out of business, to be honest. But the, the human <laughs> mind and and behavior, yeah, really, the behavior is so complex that. I find that my better work is done rolling with the punches and developing things as I go along rather than coming in with a preconceived template. There is no template. There are a lot, you often, John, talk about books, and I appreciate when you emphasize the importance of learning. And reading my book, Smart Tennis, is a good example of that. But to be honest with you, that book is not worth much compared to specialized training that gets at the individual's in, you know, unique idiosyncrasies or what they particularly need. And the one thing I want to really emphasize is that it's not so much knowledge as it is taking that knowledge and then changing behavior, just like in tennis with habits. And so the imagery becomes so, so important. And a lot of the coaches I've been working with lately in the last few years are constantly emphasizing that with their players. That's how you set the habits into place is by doing not just imagery with your, with your sports psychologist, but doing it on your own at night before you go to bed, when you wake up in the morning, doing things that emphasize the habits that we've identified that are necessary to, to lead to improvement. So a lot of things to chew on there, but knowledge is oftentimes very important, but actually overemphasized or overvalued compared to habits. Very important, yes. I guess uh, I, until I met you, I have to say I truthfully uh, struggled with that. And I, it wasn't until your emphasis at one of the workshops that I started making a point that I had to work on that and I had to do that and I had to do and I do it. When I awesome. before I go to bed at night and in the morning, everybody does their own time. But to me, it's something that 
uh, I feel has really helped me a lot, but it was something that took me forever to get into, truthfully. I mean, it's, it's, it's called smart practice, really. It's not even, it's not even mental. It's physical. When you engage the brain and the thought of a particular match or game or, or point, you're, you're working the neurons. You're actually training the neurons. <laughs> sounds kind of weird, but you're, you're, you're essentially training your brain to, to react in a certain ways. And I think one of the things that came out of that article that was, I thought so good, had 21 experts around the world making comments about what they thought was the number one thing that could help athletes mentally. And there's a common theme in there. And one of the common themes that I wanted to, to get out today in this broadcast was the idea of facing adversity that a lot of those comments, if you look at them, maybe 10 or 15 of those comments had some element of don't run from adversity. Don't run from anxiety. Don't run from, from feeling down, but actually embrace that. And by doing that, you become more prepared to deal with that in competition. And the way you do that is with often with imagery. So imagery practice, that kind of thing allows you an opportunity to face your, your biggest demons and overcome them that way. Yeah, I think that's so important. Uh, that's great. Is there anything else in that you would like to bring out? They're going that out 21 habits. Uh, what are some of the mental demons that, you know, we should be conscious of? Well, I mean, people always, um, not always, but often get, get negative and, and make uh, either negative or another way to say that is irrational um, thoughts, you know, thinking, I mean, there's a whole school of psychology, the, the New York school, the cognitive behaviorists, not to sound too psychobabblish, but their, their whole, their whole theory is based on making thoughts more rational. I think we oftentimes have faulty reasoning behind our, and, and that reasoning like, I, there's no way I'm going to beat this player, for example. Having a concept in your mind that there's no way you're going to beat this player. Well, you've already lost. And so the, the true change takes place when you realize that it's not about beating this player. It's about improving your, your performance that day or, or hitting one more ball over the net than, than you did before. So I think, I think having a perspective that's more rational or based on reality, not have these negative or illogical types of assumptions uh, changing that. It's a lot of work, but you you have to kind of rewire the brain and rewire the perspective. A lot of work to do that. That's the basis of of counseling, to be honest, and anything you're talking about, not necessarily for human performance, but for, for, you know, for depression. A lot of times what people get down when they have negative or irrational thoughts. So, that was one of the things I think the article pointed out was to uh, recognize and be willing to change your perspective to be, you know, people often say, be more positive. It sounds kind of a silly quick fix, but it's so true. Be more positive. Yeah. Yeah. I think we forget some of those uh, things that we, we take in for granted too often. And we, uh, we just need to keep reinforcing that. I talked earlier before you came on about the willingness to share um, people that disagree with my articles in Florida tennis or comments I make. I'm, I'm human, so I have biases like everybody else does. Uh, and uh, while I don't take calls over the broadcast, 
if you send me a logical explanation of your reasoning, I probably will share it. I've done it many times before. Uh, it's, I, I don't believe you hear very much when you're shouting at each other. So uh, it's, I might miss something important that you're trying to tell me, but if you're shouting, we all have strengths and weaknesses. And truthfully, that's not one of my strengths is to digest what your message is uh, at that time. But I, I, I think we, you know, I think we have to uh, sit there and talk to people that feel we have problems in tennis today. I think we have problems too, but I don't think it's just accusing uh, uh, other organizations and everything, especially when we're members of these organizations. I mean, this is America, and we're, you know, we're free people. We can express our ideas. Uh, uh, you know, if someone said freedom is not for the weak, it's for the strong. I, I don't think he no or doubt. she said that was not talking about weapons. You're talking about, you know, being able to express your opinions and everything. So I, I agree with you 100%. I think people don't do that enough, and I think we used to do that more. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when dialogue was positive. I mean, people had dialogue before. I mean, we, we I don't want to talk about going beyond the realm of tennis, but um, you often polarize to one view or the other, and then all level of, of sanity goes out the window. You don't I mean, you're not thinking truly. You're, you're simply reacting to whatever uh, subscription you've applied, uh, you know, <laughs> you, to use the word again, subscribe to. And you're not really thinking about the issue anymore. You're rather lined up on one side or the other and yelling at each other. And that doesn't solve anything. We don't, we don't need that. We need more clarity. And, you know, I can, I can be on one side of the aisle, but I can have a, a difference of opinion on one or, one or two or three or four or 10 of the issues. So whatever we're talking about, we need to, I, I truly believe we need to enhance dialogue without shutting people down. That, that doesn't help. We, you know, there's a reason for free speech and that's what makes us such a great nation historically well i i couldn't agree more let me get to another question i have and this is kind of personal and um the um and it kind of goes with i started the program with, uh, with the fhsa meetings and truthfully uh on may 14th if there is one last year uh, I was up uh, in Gainesville because uh, I planned ahead, so I planned some other people I had to see there, and they had no meeting because there weren't enough people shown uh, there for it, so they had a phone conversation. But there's a, the first hour of that meeting, you're in and you're out, is about people cheating. And I really, yeah. and, and I know we have cheaters, and I know there's times of that, but I don't think the issue is as big as they make it, and we don't have a solution. And one of the things that one of the questions came up, which I think tennis pros understand, but uh, I, I think a science teacher teaching tennis might not understand it. And the question was, why do I get more nervous when playing doubles than singles? And I had a young lady that uh, played for me. Uh, she went on uh, played uh, in, uh, in college afterwards. Uh, she was uh, 
all uh, district for four years that she played. She uh, played in the for the Air Force Academy. Uh, a great, great player, but she was not a good doubles player. And she used, to, and I used to say to her, well, I don't want to say her name, but why, um, you know, what's wrong? You know, you you wouldn't do that. She says, Coach, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comfortable playing the doubles. I get nervous. I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint somebody. And and singles right. is just me against the person across. Yeah, no doubt. Can you go well, into that I mean, a little? I mean, I, I don't think this was an unusual young lady. I, I mean, she's today she's a very successful officer serving our country. Uh, you know, very proud of her. Uh, I, I, I think she, I don't think anything's wrong with her, truthfully. Well, I dealt with that issue yesterday with a client on the phone. Um, and I think you said it. There's more pressure when you have to satisfy someone else. I mean, you're, you're worried not only about making a good return of serve away from the net man or net woman, but you're also worried about letting down your, your, your partner. And so doubles is a completely different animal. Now, I don't think that happens at the, the highest, highest levels. I think people get beyond that and able to focus. So I think, I just think there's more at stake when you're at a team and you're you're, you, know, you might also think the other way. You might be upset when the other person doesn't perform well, and that makes you nervous. So there's many reasons why it could happen, but I think one of the biggies is this idea that you're being watched by your partner and you're having to satisfy that that need, which leads to pressure, you know, which leads to difficult performance often. So doubles is, requires more massaging, more communication, more obviously – uh, planning to deal with things in a way that might, you might not necessarily be comfortable dealing with them because you got two different people there. So it really, it, it raises the stakes a little bit and that increases the pressure and increases the difficulty of performing possibly due to anxiety. And I think the difficulty with an organization like the FHSAA and trying to make rules and everything, we try to make rules and we forget that we're dealing with human beings. And uh, to say your number one player has to play number one doubles, uh, you know, when that might not be because she's the number one or he's the number one single player, doesn't mean that he or she is the number one uh, doubles player. It might be playing better off uh, that number two spot, but it doesn't mean you're stacking the team. Uh, and and I think yeah. you know sometimes this is the trouble with too many rules. I think uh, I I was I always look for help and, and with you coming out with a, a a form or something that could help me and that was uh, impressed. Yeah, you say you don't want to do that. You've got to handle the situations, and I respect that. And I see you know what you're talking about now. <clears throat> So keep well, up the good, you know, work and, you know, you don't always, you can't always control that, but rules can be good. They can be bad. You know, it can, it can upset half the people, you know. Doctor, we have a, uh, about five more minutes. Let me, I have a question here and I don't know if you want to address it or you want to go on to one of the other, of those, um, 
21 tips and discuss that a little. But one of the thing, questions that was asked is, can better treatment of mentally challenged individuals reduce mass shootings? And, uh, I, you know, I'm not talking about gun laws or anything. We're talking about individuals. Um, so I don't know if you want to address that question or should we yeah. go back to the article? No, that's 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 definitely a relevant question. I mean, I, I, I you know, we we are trained that way as psychologists. To try, in fact, when I was on internship, which is the final year of your graduate training, I had a guy that came to me in the counseling center at Washington State University that wanted to shoot up the, the university, and told my my uh, mentor, my professor, the the director of the counseling center about this. And I had a, had an instinct, but also just the way he was behaving was really irrational. And he looked highly anxious. He was sweating, and uh, he had recently broken up his, his, I guess his fiance had left him, or something was going on there. But we basically sn- uh, sniffed out a potential mass shooting on campus by getting to him early. Now, um. I was just doing what I was trained to do. I'm not giving myself a pat on the back for having saved, you know, people's lives there. But obviously there there's a certain this is, you know, we we could get into gun control because I'm one of those guys that actually does believe that we need to control. I think you and I have somewhat debated on this issue too, but whether that's whether that's the case or not, uh I think both sides of that argument would agree that getting to people before they act irrationally and suicidally or homicidally is is so important. I had another example. I was working with a division one basketball team here in South Florida for a couple of years. I I had the pleasure and the challenge of sitting on the bench and giving little pregame pep talks to the team mentally. And there was one guy that having done the assessments, understanding how all the players were ticking or trying to understand how they were ticking so we could help them mentally to perform better. I found one guy was suicidal. So the coach was able to send him home and he ended up, you know, leaving the team and going back and getting his life in order again, preventing a suicide. So there's no question in my mind that better detection is, is going to help reduce the overall possibility of these things happening. Now, can you always do that? No. But if you don't at least have a a plan in mind or have something, you know, we, I've talked about many things on Facebook and beyond to try to help to prepare for these things a little bit better so people don't go ahead and act irrationally. Um, I think you, you reduce the overall aggregate number of people doing crazy things. But you've got to get to them. You've got to have, whether it's a good guidance counselor or a plan in place or an assessment or part of what you have to get through when you purchase a gun, that would be where you would start. You need to show that you're mental. I think, this is just my bias, many of you out there are going to say I'm crazy. I think you need to prove that you're capable of having a firearm by showing that you're, you, know, you, have, you don't have a history of mental illness and that you don't. Uh, you're not a risk to society before you're able to take that major step forward to have a, have a fire, even though we have our, our gun rights. I, I, you know, I, I believe that's also part of it, but 
Yeah, rights if you can handle it properly. Thank you. Well, I I understand where you're coming from there. I I do have um, I believe that too many people are looking to attack the Second Amendment, and I think the Constitution is is a document that you know just the founding fathers when they formed that. I've recently uh, going through the uh, medical problems I've had. I started. Uh, uh, taking online courses at uh, Hillsdale College and listening to some of the lectures and uh, but uh, I've uh, and I've actually even uh, switched I one of my weaknesses in school uh, was literature and uh, they even had a literature one so my wife reminded me I can't afford a divorce <laughs> I can't uh, be hanging around the house, so I even uh, took that. Which uh, so I then some of the stuff I took in college, I'm getting a better appreciation for now. But I do coming from a law enforcement background. I mean, we used to have sure. a place where we could when we saw help because we weren't qualified enough. You know, the, I think experience is a great learner, and you know. Uh, when you eventually you learn a little bit, but you had a you had a place where you could get help to go to, and um, yeah. and making laws and changes, you know these people weren't being treated right, and this and that, and we closed so many facilities. And uh, what scares me a little is, you know, we, in my opinion, we created a bigger. Uh, problem than we had is because rather than a help looking to help people, we're looking to arrest people and we just don't have enough jails yeah. to arrest everybody. Look, look, happy so I do have a biased view on it, yeah. but it, yeah. it is based on some training I had too. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that happy people don't kill people. So True. at least try to figure out why people aren't happy. I, I have a theory if I was to write a book on personality, I would, you know, I would say that the, it's the insecure people that are dangerous. And so being able mm-hmm. to understand why they're insecure, finding out why they're unhappy, finding out, you know, that you always see that you don't see happy people going around killing people, people that are secure, successful in their own minds or whatever it is. They're usually not going around shooting, shooting up a school. Okay. So making sure that we attend to the bullies and, or the people that are bullied, excuse me, or the bullies too, we could, we could do something to them. <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah, I think dealing with people, it's, it's always about people. Yeah. Well, I agree. And I think when you look at the, uh, the latest uh, people in the last uh, 10 years or so, this going on, and you look at all these, each individual, you, you could see that there were problems with each of them. So, I mean, uh, could any of it been prevented? Uh, I, I, you know, the odds ain't too good, but I mean, out of the 10 different individuals, even if one of them, uh, you know, was able, we were able to help. When I say we, people like you, you know, that's X amount of less people that would have been killed. So uh, I, yeah, I do see uh, your point there, and I think it's a valid point. I mean, I'm not a big Hillary supporter, I'll be honest. But she at least was pushing for more mental, more mental stuff, more mental treatment in society. So that's an example of something that needs to have a greater emphasis, not only in sports, but in society overall. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think we go back, and and, and my bias uh, is sports. I've been involved in it all my life. Uh, you know, I didn't look good in the police uniform, so they put me in the detective bureau. And being to make my own schedule, I coached basketball before I coached uh, tennis. But uh, I do believe that the other thing I see out there is if you get people involved in sports and uh, you know, I'm biased towards tennis, but I think any sport, and they're competing, and they're learning how to lose, and then they're learning how to lose better, and then they're getting involved. Yep. I think that we have a problem, and I don't, I don't think, uh, I, truthfully, one of the things that bothers me is I hear a few psychologists out there saying, you know, let the uh, kids, you know, make their own agenda. Well, you know, to be good at anything, it you know takes what ten thousand hours they say to be a tennis player, yeah. to be a piano player, to be a psychologist. You know, so why would we? I don't understand why we would ask a child to determine what they should okay. be studying okay. and how they should. Well, okay, you raised two issues. The first issue is that, that social involvement is always healthy. If you look back to the earliest psychologists, I think it was. I think it was Alfred Adler back in Vienna. You know, I think he was a contemporary of Freud. And his, his prescription for success and health, I think it was him, or was it Sullivan? There are, I think they both would say that social involvement, being involved with people in sports is a great place for that, um, is healthy. It's going to lead to better mental health. And then the second issue you raise is the structure of, of coaching or, or training and whether it should come from the kids or the or the teachers, and obviously, if you're trying, if you're talking about going beyond the mere social involvement aspects of tennis, and you're trying to develop champions, you need tough, tough leaders, tough, tough mental coaches, and tough tennis coaches, and that's the only way to do it. You can't become a master at anything by letting the the kids run the, run the run the show. It's not going to happen. True, but even if we go away from that, I agree with that. I mean, if we go back all the way uh, to Socrates when he asked the question, what's the right way for man to live? And I think we're still, you know, our forefathers used that to form in our constitution. I think most humans, while we have strengths and weaknesses, we look to try to make the people around us you know, a better. Most of these kids don't even know what Western civilization is. They, well, they don't even know what. Um, we're not even teaching, um, you know, yeah. civil rights in our schools no more. We don't know what our constitution is, and I, I think. So, how do we sit there and tell? The, how do they decide this is what should be done and what shouldn't be done? And then. It's not just the competing part; it's the learning part. And uh, what aren't we? You know, what are we learning? And I'm. I think. Oh, yeah. I think I'm. A, go ahead. No, you're good. You're you're good. You, you yeah. have to teach the whole person. And the, go ahead. I think of a situation here a couple of years ago in Indian River County. We had two teachers that were first fired for giving the test out. They got the test too soon and giving it to uh, the uh, kids. And they had the highest uh, marks uh, in our schools. 
and did great. And uh, then they they fired the teachers. Then they got their jobs back because they said they weren't cheating. They were just trying to prepare them for the test. But the state says that these they're not going to recognize those tests. That two years later, or well, it was a year later at that time, they should take the test over. My question is, how do we ask somebody that didn't um, didn't get the subject matter, but instead was taught how to take a test and the questions on the yeah. test? How do we give them a uh, another test a year later and expect them to pass it on the subject matter when we never teach the subject matter. And I think this is what's going on too often. Well, it starts in the home. It continues with coaching. It continues with teaching. And I think we do need to get back to core values and core um, competencies, basic learning. You know, you're a tennis coach, but you're, you know, how many of your players are going to go to Wimbledon? Probably very few. So you've got a responsibility to, to teach about life too. So whatever we're, we're saying the right things. And I think kids are too tied into their darn cell phones and Snapchats. And, you know, I have a 14 year old and I see it, you know, she, she's bright girl, but I see how there's less communication from the teachers and more just social media awareness. And I don't know if that's always good. So I think depth might suffer at the expense of, or at the, you know, a lot more breadth, a lot more contact, but is it really deep contact? Are they really learning things? So that's where schooling is so important. Well, John, we've gone through a whole broadcast here. I uh, look forward to our broadcast next month. Uh, I'll try to stay more on uh, uh, tennis. But please tell the uh, audience uh, how they could uh, get a hold of you. Well, my, my website, you can sign up for my newsletter, and I send something out about once a month. Lots of articles, videos, stuff like that. But it's johnfmurray.com, J-O-H-N-F as in Frank, M-U-R-R-A-Y dot C-O-M. And that'll be the link to pretty much everything I'm doing. And there's a news feed there with articles that pop up all the time. You can interact with me, ask me questions, do a lot of things. So johnfmurray.com. Okay, thank you. Well, I'm sure the audience knows now that you're not going to hear my 10 minutes perspective at the end. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I felt there was somebody I could express some of my ideas and get uh, feedback with. I, uh, sometimes uh, there's a couple of people I enjoy talking too much to, and Dr. Oh, Murray is so. one of them. But, uh, thanks, you know, John. Uh, okay. But we will uh, talk again next month. Next uh, week is uh, Alan Fox, uh, Scott Williams is coaching the high school uh, team, so he's tied up. Linda LeClaire is away, so we made a little switch. So it'll be Alan Fox next week. But just tell your friends, uh, tune in. Remember that you don't have to – Listen live to the broadcast. You can go and listen at any time you want. That's the great thing about Block Talk Radio. Um, I will ask you to look at my article on uh, in Florida Tennis Magazine. Remember, it's going to be a three-piece article. And I'll also, you know, if you have, you disagree with me or you have comments or if you agree and you have suggestions, please email me. But let's not shout at each other. Let's talk to each other. 
I think we'll get a lot more done with deliberation uh, rather than trying to dictate terms. Have a blessed week. I look forward to talking with you again next week. Bye now.